Welcome back to She Can Talk. I am your host, Colleen, a.k.a. Gongoli MC on Instagram. If you're trying to see what we're doing with the music, really and truly check out my stories. I, I you know, I keep the pages, you know, for the music, but I kind of keep in touch with y'all in my stories. So go on over to Gongoli MC and check me out. Same thing with Colleen Eat Wings. If you want to see what we're grilling, what we're cooking, what we're saucing and tossing, you can go over to Colleen Eat Wings and check that out. We also have a podcast for She Can Talk, which you can catch the latest episodes. Um, well, excuse me, we have a page for the podcast she can talk podcast on ig but you can just keep it simple guys go over to doerecords.com d-o-e records.com you can catch all of that all the instagrams all the links for the episodes the latest episodes if you missed an episode or if you just want to reach out to us if you want to submit some music for consideration to the label any of the above you can do it over there at doerecords.com and i am colleen your host over here she can talk hey how y'all doing all right. So I know I guys, I hit y'all with a um, couple of serious episodes the last couple of weeks here, but we're going to continue on because the world has not changed. Okay. And the more that I try to be, um, partial or neutral or mutual, I feel like I'm doing myself a disservice as well as my community and my listeners, a disservice by not telling you, you know, how I feel and you know how I do. I like to drop some facts. I would like to drop some fun facts, you know, things that I learned. I like to share it all with you guys because, hey, you could have been today's year, today years old, like myself, when I found out some of these fun facts that I will share with you today. And um, as you can see from the title, um, it's called, How Do We Get to Sesame Street? How did we get to Sesame Street? Right? Because... It's a play on the theme song, of course. If you're OG, if you really remember the Sesame Street theme song, you already know, you know, can you tell me how to get to Sesame Street, right? But um, this is more like, I'm going to break it down and go back to the history of Sesame Street. Like, how did we get to Sesame Street? Okay, let's go there. Let's start there. So before we go there, as you can know, as you all probably know by now, it's in the news, it's in media, it's a hot topic amongst parents, uh, you know, particularly black parents, you know, parents of color, brown parents, as well as celebrities, black celebrities who are also parents who also, you know, um, patronize Sesame Place with their children in the past or have planned to in the future. And they're seeing this disgust that what happened recently. So if you haven't known, if you've lived under a rock or if you're just not oblivious because you don't have children, um, yeah, recently a mother a black mother took her daughters, two beautiful little girls to Sesame place in Pennsylvania. So while they're there, you know, they had a parade and at the parade, you know, the kids get to hug the characters. The characters basically come up and interact with the children, wave, hug them, do a little dance and keep it moving. Right. So as they're coming down, you can see where the character hugged several white little kids prior to the two little black girls told them distinctively, no, like with disgust and attitude, no, I'm not hugging y'all. Like they did something wrong. Right. And then moved on to continue hugging other children that were white. So the mother was like, Oh no. So she, which I'm so happy and I'm so proud that she did. She took it upon herself to say, you know what? I'm going to post this. I'm going to expose this and I'm not going to stop until this goes viral. Good thing she did that because what she did was bring a collective attention to the behavior of these characters at Sesame Place. So other black parents started putting up their videos of their children being shunned by these characters as well. Right? So now you're seeing, um, 
you know, little boys, little girls, some, you know, look like they could be even biracial, not a hundred percent black, but it doesn't matter. They were brown persuasion and they were being shunned. And you can see where like, they're looking at the kid, like not you. And they go right over to the white kid. You one parent even said on their video, Oh, they're only hugging white kids, baby. Don't worry about it. And had to console her kid because of the blatant obviousness. And then it's like a sheer embarrassment, right? Like you don't want to be, you know, because you know what happens, right? For example, like if you're like, Hey, why did you, you know, shit on my kid? You passed my kid up, but then you walked over there and hugged the white kids Then we're looking ignorant. And then you start looking like the angry black parent or the angry black person. You can't take black people anywhere. Right? So what happens is because of that passive aggressiveness, I already know you become embarrassed and you're like, Oh man. And they become embarrassed for your kids. So you, as a parent, you try to step up and just kind of console them and continue on with having whatever fun. And hopefully they'll forget about that moment. Right. But, um, let's face it guys in reality, you're not going to forget about that moment. Those children will not forget about that moment. That's probably one of their first moments of rejection in the world that they will continue to feel because let's face it, it happens. You know, I remember that happening, you know, as children and you're like, Oh my God, so excited. And you don't get the same results as the little white kids at the circus or at the fair or whatever, because they overlook you experienced it. Right. And then as that, as you experience that, you become older, you become an adult. So when it happens to your children, you're like, Oh man, I don't want to be that parent. That's going to make a scene. Well, kudos to her for making a scene because not only did this mother bring much needed attention to this situation, but other parents who experienced it recently have also came forward and brought their footage forward. So it's one thing to say is one parent, oh, she is in her mind. She just, you know, every parent's so hyperzealous over their kid. It's just that, right? Oh, they, they didn't see you in the costume. But now you got several different parents on different occasions with different children being rejected for one thing in common, being black. Now it's a question of, okay, what is really going on? So I had to say to myself, cause you know, I don't have kids like literally Colossal and I, like, you know, we were just saying, like we say all the time, like our goal in life here is to break generational curses. And that's what we do. Like we travel to different countries. We try different foods. We try to live life. Um, this is to the best that we can to the fullest, right? Because as black people, and especially as black, you know, once children coming from, you know, single parent homes or just urban communities, you know how it is. It's a lot of generational curses for us to break. So for example, I could just talk about the one that we were talking about. Like recently for, um, Colossal's birthday, I took him to Universal Studios. That's something that he wanted to do for years. Right. And I said, Hey, you know, why didn't we go to Universal Studios? I'm going to surprise him with it for his birthday. And I probably had more fun than he did. Okay. I talked about it for like, days on end afterwards. I even got me one of those Harry Potter wands, I think it is. And I'm like, or the Dumbledore wands and I'm walking around making all the magic spells. I'm moving. I'm like, damn near pushing the kids out the way. Like I need to use my wand next. Like I'm big kid, total kid overload. Right. Had so much fun. And, um, we joked about it and then we was like, yo, it's like, we're big kids. We're breaking generational curses. I'm proud of us. You know? So I understand you know, but we have to do that, especially in this time, especially our generation, right? So kudos once again to that mom for breaking that generational curse because years before, because you see it's blatantly being practiced, right? So you know this is something that they do. It's probably almost in a training manual. Don't hug the nigger kids, hug everyone else, right? So, 
you can see it was so blatant and they were so comfortable with doing it. Even though you've seen a worker, because for example, when we were at Universal, you've seen the cartoon characters come out. They also have a handler. I say a handler, but they also have a person that's not in cast, you know, costume, but they're in their work uniform, normally a t-shirt and you know, like a, um, you know, a pullover shirt, rugby and some shorts, you know, with the theme park on it, their ID around their neck, but they're, they're either taking pictures on behalf of the character. They're lining up the people so you can go next, but they've got something to do with the character to make everything go smoothly. So I say they're the character's handler. I seen it, you know, at, at Disney when we was out there. So I seen that too. There was videos where you see even the handlers are shunning the kids out the way, but then going over to the white kids. So it was so blatant. It was like, yeah, bring light to it. Right. But, um, I started to think like, hold on. I grew up, you know, I'm not a spring chicken now, but I ain't no old bird either. But I did grow up on Sesame street, you know, being in New York, PBS, the free channel, public broadcasting system, channel 13, New York city, PBS had, um, Sesame street. And I feel like Sesame street was, on demand on PBS at that point in time. And like I was growing up in the eighties and, um, I was like, I, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like Sesame street was New York based. And I felt like, or maybe it was just an, as me as a kid, because you know, you don't really know nothing. Like your world consists of everything that's right there around you. Like your family, your block, like wherever you grew up at your neighborhood. So it's very small. Your world is small when you're a child. Right. So may, I'm thinking to myself, like maybe I, you know, just thought that Sesame Street was in New York because I was living in New York and I'm watching this as a kid and putting my own imaginational spin on it. But I said, no, let's, let's do some research, right? So, and I'm late too now because I actually did this research yesterday, but I wanted to get some things, you know, some facts, right? And kind of write some notes down to do this episode. So you might've seen some of this already, but if not, buckle up because I'm gonna take you on a little fun fact ride here. But um, it did start in New York, okay? Sesame Street originated in New York and it was geared to a certain population, a population of anywhere between like three and five year old kids who were not in school, you know, that was in a, um, underprivileged household and were in an urban community in particular at this time when they started it, which was in like 1969 or something like that. And you know what? Cause I have the article right here. Let me pull it back up. So I don't have to BS with y'all. Hey, I'm gonna pull it right back up for y'all. Here we go. So, and if you guys want to check what I'm telling you out, you can just go over to, um, the Smithsonian magazine. Yes. Like the museum Smithsonian Magazine, right? And you can go to smithsonianmag.com or you can just type in, um, you know, like, well, I'll just give you the exact title of the article. The exact title of the article in Smithsonian Magazine is The Unmistakable Black Roots of Sesame Street. Okay. And I'm just going to read a few lines from the, you know, the heading of it. And I was like, I knew I wasn't bugging out. I knew it because as a kid, I just felt like they were in New York, like the show, like it was, I didn't feel, I didn't know that anyone else around the world was watching Disney, um, excuse me, Sesame street, because it felt so, you know, close to home for me and resonated so close to home. Cause of course I was in New York and this show was based in New York and geared towards me at the time. Well, 
I wasn't born in 69. I was in the eighties, but at the same time, it was geared towards me. So in the eighties, we're full in, we're fully in, we're watching Sesame street. So anyway, um, it said making his debut in 1969, the beloved children's television show was shaped by the African-American communities in Harlem and beyond in particular, Harlem, the Bronx, um, Brooklyn, the five boroughs, you know, even if you look at the set and it even said it, like they had a picture of the set with like, you know, big bird and, you know, just just if you, the way you looked at it, it literally looked like New York in the sixties and the seventies, maybe even early eighties. Right. It said the design of Sesame street was based on rows of brownstones that were found in Manhattan's Harlem and upper West side, as well as the Bronx. Now, you know, Brooklyn also has the same brownstones, but, um, yeah. So they geared the set around the structure of New York housing where black children were found at these times. Right. So it was geared towards us. Oh my goodness. So it was, um, several black teachers, like, you know, commissioners, teachers, administrators, um, as well as arts, performing arts, um, actors, theater artists, jazz musicians, musicians from all genres, right. Plus athletes that came together and pooled money together for this show meaning to get these design sets to look like New York, to get the character outfits, to hire the, um, musical, the musicians for the theme songs for the different performances. Cause it was like, if you look at Sesame street and then you think about places like, um, living color and, um, uh, mad TV, all those type of places. I'm not going to say Sesame street started it, but you could kind of see where it got that idea from. They had like a lot of singing, but they had skits. And then these skits were designed, however, to teach the children, you know, and to teach a lesson, you know, about life or education for the children. So you could see it. And it was, you could see where it had a design and had like special guest performers, so you can kind of see where later shows kind of got the idea, like, you know, from, and maybe got some inspiration from Sesame Street themselves, because I mean, Hey, it's been around since 1969. Right. So, um, so the creator of Sesame Street is Joan Gantz Cooney. And she said in a 1998 documentary interview that she produced on the Harlem preschool program that would end up becoming Head Start. And I remember, um, Head Start when it became like a, it was like a big thing in like maybe the eighties, you know, I don't really know. Like all I remember is the eighties. Like I can't remember beyond that. Okay. Sue me. Okay. But all I remember is being a kid in the eighties, you, then you started hearing about Head Start programs and which is programs for children before going to kindergarten. So like a pre-K, right. And it allowed them to, um, get acclimated with writing and being in a school setting and learning and just get acclimated with going to school before actually going to school. Right. So you won't have a wild card that's showing up and don't have no discipline, no nothing. And you're trying to teach everybody ABCs and they're going freaking crazy. Right. So she started out on that program soon after she teamed up with her friend Lloyd Morissette, who's a psychologist and a Carnegie corporation executive who was looking to back a preschool education model that could reach a great number of inner city children. Morissette secured additional private sector and federal government support and the children's television workshop or no later known as CTW. The entity would produce Sesame street among other beloved educational programming. Um, yes. And a lot of their 
majority because like I said, it was, um, black influence geared towards inner city kids. A lot of their programming, you can tell, you can spot it because it had soul to it. Um, reading rainbow schoolhouse rock, stuff like that. Right. So, um, yeah. So it says here in 1970, Ebony magazine, a um, Sesame Street included a picture of Cooney flanked by a team of African-American women, included the head of Seattle Head Start and the headmistress of the New York preschool. Chester Pierce, an African-American psychiatrist and Harvard professor, helped design what he called the show's hidden curriculum to help build up the self-worth of black children through the presentation of positive black images. Okay. So the show had two main characters that started out and I'm just going to paraphrase a little bit. I'm not going to read the whole article. You can definitely go over to Smithsonian to get the detail, but it started out in 1969. It had, um, a husband and wife who basically was like a father figure to the children in the neighborhood. I, I think they had a son on the show as well, but you know, children in the neighborhood and then the characters were the extensions like Oscar, the grouch and, you know, um, count Dracula. But before they even became more popular because they had to integrate, you know, more less soulful characters because people in the South were upset that, you know, they got, you know, that these black people are acting like they're smarter than white people and teaching children. Okay, so follow me because you're going to see where the deterioration, the deterioration of something beautiful started. All right. So 1969, we had Sarah and Gordon. I don't know their real names. But these are the characters on the show. They were like the mother and the father of the show. Positive images, a husband and a wife, a family doing you know, positive stuff for the community, teaching the children, empowering the children. They had guests the first season, like Nina Simone, who sang young to be young, gifted and black with the children on the porch of one of the, of the brownstones. They had people like Jackie Robinson, which was a baseball player do um, public service spots promoting the show. They had people like Shirley Chisholm, who was running for president during those times do publicity spots and promotional spots campaigning for the show. A lot of, a lot of high influential black people were fully invested and and committed to this show to make sure that they were providing a thorough education with a, you know, a show with a hidden curriculum, like they said, to educate the children that could not really maybe leave the house, leave the block, didn't have the, you know, the, um, access to the proper tools at the schools in their neighborhood, you know? So they, this was the extra push for them. And it really started out with like the urban kids, black kids. If you looked on the show, it wasn't just hundred percent black. They had Puerto Rican kids. They had black kids. They had Italian kids. They had Jewish kids. That's what you saw in New York, right? In your neighborhood. So it wasn't like, Oh man, it got a Jewish guy. That's what was in the neighborhood. That was who was in class with you. So they, it was true to the New York DNA makeup period. But, um, it became a little bit more, um, uncomfortable for people further South watching it and seeing too many people of color. And then in particular, the main mother and father being black in such a positive environment. And people were literally protesting their local TV stations saying, you got this black man thinking he's smarter than us. We don't need this on the show. We don't need this on our TV and, you know, confusing our kids. So they took off Sesame Street in certain Southern regions like Mississippi for a time period because they said it was too black. 
But follow me now. While they were pissed off because it was too black, they were seeing thriving numbers of children in other places, mainly the area that they were targeting, which was Harlem, Brooklyn, Queens, Manhattan, Staten Island, you know, but mainly Harlem and the Bronx. That's where they started out from because I guess that's where their heart was. That's probably where these people were from. That's where they seen the need. And you started to see a, a, thri- a, a um, increase or improvement in these children, you know, like, you know, readiness for school and then completing school and succeeding in school afterwards, you know? So you started to see all of this. And they say, hey, if we start as young as four, three, four years old with educating them, we can kind of plant that seed and push them along, you know, with more, they'll be more confident as we're, as we're, um, you know, put going through school versus thrusting into something you're not even prepared for. Just like anything, if you're not prepared for it, it, it might give you anxiety, you know, and it might give you like a hesitation. Like, I don't want to go to school. Like, why am I doing this? You know, but if someone kind of sat you down and said, Hey, look, if you do this, this, and this, this is going to be great. And in order for you to get here, you got to do this, this, and this, and I'm going to help you with this, this, and this, that person, not only are you helping them be, you know, build confidence, but that child will then succeed and do whatever they want to do confidently. Right. So it did things like that. You know, it, it wasn't there to raise the children, of course, but it did a lot because it was a need. It was a poverty lines were, were high you know, a lot of homes were broken and the children were raised, you know, by the TV latchkey kids. Like you see it where they always say like the eighties kids, the seventies kids, you got your key and you went home, locked up the house and did not come out until mom came home. You might make yourself a sandwich or whatever the case is and watch TV. Right. So a lot of kids had, you know, Sesame street, you know, and then later on we had the Cosby show, but that's another, that's another story for another day. But, um, yeah. So all that to say is now let's segue into after the discrimination and the upsetness of Sarah and, and Gordon being the star of the show and the, you know, protagonist, they said, you know what we need? We need to integrate it. So that way we can get back into those markets like Mississippi and the South, because those are big markets and that's middle America. So if you ever hear anyone say, Oh, but we have to make sure we're reaching middle America, just know they mean white America. And I mean the white America that is on eggshells and will be real frat, like the fragile, of them. So anyway, um, yeah. So what they did was they, they brought in people like Carol Burnett. They brought in different, um, you know, like in the seventies, more white people, more white comedians, white singers to kind of soften the blow for the other people watching it in the South and middle America. And, um, you know, integrated it. Of course, a lot of the black artists and actors and actresses, lost their jobs as a result of integration, right? But there you go. Then they brought in more characters that sound less black and more white just to soften the blow further. But let's go into a character in particular that I want to talk about. He, because like I said, I was today years old when I actually knew the original reasoning, creation, and the whole dream and goal of Sesame Street, right? So I'm going through that history today because I feel like that's like lost on the corporation today, but we're going to get to that because you know, always spin the block and come back around with it. She can talk, but let me tell you about this character real quick before I go there. All right. Controversial character. And I'm going to tell you, I want to say it was, he might've been like in 1970, I want to say it was 1972. Let me see. Let me see. 
1970, I was wrong. So in the second year, which was 1970, Sesame Street introduced a Muppet. Remember later on they had spinoffs of the Muppets, which was another show and all that stuff, right? Yeah, you're listening to me. So they introduced a Muppet named Roosevelt Franklin, whom the producers openly acknowledged was black. So he's not Oscar the Grouch, which is like a blue animal in the garbage. He's not the cookie monster. He's not a big yellow bird. You could tell he's just a black man, right? So his name is Roosevelt Franklin. Um, he's created by and voiced by Matt Robinson, the actor who played Gordon. So, you know, he also voiced this character, Roosevelt Franklin. Roosevelt speaks black English, which is outlined as a way of saying that he is, um, they made him speak more soulful because they wanted his character to be more believable. So they say he spoke about black English to make him more believable to the target audience. Roosevelt dances in his elementary school classroom where he is recognized as a streetwise teacher of a boisterous class. He employs the call and response of a black preacher when teaching, and he has apparently black peers prompting one student even to say, man, he, could sure, he sure can teach. So basically saying like he acts like a preacher, he gets the crowd hype, you know, the, the, the students hype and the class might be rowdy until he comes in. But once he comes in, he gets their attention. So I was like, oh, okay. So now I got to look up this character, Roosevelt Franklin. This was 1970 voiced by the character by Matt Robinson, who basically was Gordon on the show, the, the father. He was a rapper guys, 1970. He was a rapper. So the episode he comes in, he's like, rhyme time, rhyme time. Everybody get, you know, everybody now is rhyme time. And he starts rhyming and he tells his whole story. And he's like going down the street and you see me on beat. Every, you know, he's rhyming. And he tells a story about a king whose name was like Marty Mope or something. And he loves to rhyme. He's like, I like to rhyme things with sing and ring, that type of thing. You know, like whatever. So he was trying to figure out words to rhyme with his name and he was having a hard time rhyming his name. So he says this whole story in rhyme. He, it's a rap. It's a rap song about, um, you know, this King trying to find words to rhyme with his name. And at the end he finds out, you know, he could rhyme his name, Marty Mope with 40 foot rope. And he was like, Oh, and you know, he was hyped from there. So it was pretty dope because I said, I can even see how this started, you know, kids onto rapping. But let me tell you, let me read a little bit more from this for you. And then I'm going to go into it. So, um, they said that many viewers and African Americans at the CTW believe that the Muppet reinforced a negative stereotype of black children. In a 1970 Newsweek interview, Sesame Street executive Dave Connell defended the portrayal, saying, we do black humor, just like we do Irish humor and Jewish humor. Cooney said, in Street Gang, I loved Roosevelt Franklin, but I understood the protest. I wasn't wholly comfortable, but I was amused. You couldn't help but laugh with him. In her dissertation, long stressed, the most important thing about Roosevelt is that he always knows the correct answer, whether he talks in standard or non-standard English. And so basically, you know, he was highly intelligent and he had the ability to speak proper and he had the ability to relate to the children and he used rhyming and rapping to do so. 
All right. So um, the upper middle class blacks put the strongest uh, put up the strongest objections because they were heavily financially influenced in the show and they got Franklin cut from the show. There you go. So once again, you know, the thing that I see just me, I'm not trying to step on a soapbox. I'm not here to say like, this is what happens. This is wrong. This is, this is just my observation guys. All right. So this is not a thing for you to say, Hey, look, Colleen, who are you to say this, that, and the third? I'm a black woman that's been living for a long time in America, born and raised, and I've seen it. I've seen the passive regressive bullshit from both sides, from white people and black people. So let's go there. Okay, let's talk about it. I remember um, when, well, I'm not even gonna talk about me. We're gonna keep it strictly on Roosevelt Franklin and Sesame Street real quick. So he was rhyming. He was having the ability to further um, connect with the kids. And then if you, on the episode that I seen of Roosevelt Franklin, cause honey, I did the research. It was a more like a high school class, maybe a junior high school to high school class that he was teaching and he did rhyming and they like, it was more like high school vibe. Right. So to me, I feel like Sesame street was now moving into not only capturing the four-year-olds and the five-year-olds, but Hey, let's capture the high school students attention as well and if we can get them to learn history and learn different things through rhyme and songs they we might be able to secure a better you know educational or graduation turnover rate in our community with our high school kids i just i just saw that episode one episode no one told me that that's just the assumption my opinion from just watching an episode in that character and lets me know like okay i see where they were going with this and it was a good idea so um Okay, so here we go. Upper middle class to rich class black people were putting restrictions on it because they did not want to be seen like, oh, that's all we do is rhyme and skibbity bat bat, right? But here we are in 2022 where rap is the number one pop popular music and the biggest generator of finances for any company, corporate or otherwise, right? So here we are like 50 plus years later, but back then they put restrictions on not only Marty, uh, excuse me, Marty, but Roosevelt Franklin. They also put restrictions on any other character that was closely related to the urban people. And I get it. They probably were worried about, you know, the middle-class Americans putting more pressure on them to possibly even lose their show. So I get it. It's a fight, you know, but I feel like it should have been a little bit more pushback. Like, no, this is really for our people. Like we didn't really do this for anyone else It's we want to make sure it stays, you know, it, everyone knows why it was originated. Like the demographic that this is catering to, because you can see when something is not catering to our demographic, right? Which is 99% of the world of America and the world shit. 99.99% of the world we live in is not catered to our needs. Right. And you can see it. So when you do get something that's catered to our needs, it's instantly going to blow up because, wow, people of color, brown, not only just black people, brown people, Spanish people, Asian people, anyone that can relate to black people would enjoy it. You know what I'm saying? White people, too, will enjoy it, you know, but it comes down to a power thing. You're teaching my children. We can't have you looking smarter than us. So we're going to switch that around. So by the time the 80s came around, definitely whitewashed. You started seeing more um, 
white actors, no Sarah, no Gordon, no soulful characters. You got the Count from Transylvania, Big Bird. I think Big Bird was like a white guy. I don't know. It's just the characters became more bland, right? Okay, cool. No problem. Um, I guess because, you know, it became more mainstream, they opened up Sesame Place. I'm not even sure when they opened up Sesame Place. I honestly don't even care about it. But the fact that how did you not, how did you go from that black show that was created to help urban inner city children develop for school? How did you go from that to shunning black children whose working class parents are paying tickets? Cause I'm pretty sure those tickets are not cheap to take their children to their amusement park, which is also supposed to be educational and fun for them. Right. And for them to get the biggest rejection of their life in their youth. How do we get there? And the blatant disrespect for the black children. How did we get there? Right now I get it. I know. Cause I've been some places where you see ignorant parents with ignorant children and you're like, Oh, well there you go. Like it's, it's all right there. But if there, if there, if it's no, none of that going on and they're a paying customer patronizing your establishment, just like the white person next to you, them on the left and the white person next to them on the right with their children. Why are you skipping over my children and going left and right and hugging theirs? Not good at all. So it leads me to say, maybe we should do you know, I don't really have children, so I'm not saying I don't have children, so I don't care, but I'm just saying like, maybe we should focus on things that focus on our children and our community. I say this all the time and we still have yet to accept that is because of the whole, I guess, integration of life. You feel like, oh, we're one people, but are we, are we, that's still yet to be seen in my eyes, but, um, that's, for another day. Anyway, what I would say is this though. Um, I see, for example, I've seen it on TikTok. I've seen it on, um, Instagram, even on Facebook. So I was like, what is this? Apparently is a show called Gracie's Corner, right? And it's, um, new age. I don't know, like Dora Explorer, maybe with some Sesame Street type of vibes, right? Where they're teaching the kids how to read, teaching the kids how to write, going on adventures, learning, learning, learning. And it's definitely made for 2022, right? So you see like the parents are jamming and doing choreography routines to the songs. And I'm like, this is the kid's song. This is dope, you know? So I thought to myself, like, you know, like back in the days, how they had, um, Sesame street for our generations and generations before us that, um, that was how you can communicate with us, right? Now we know kids got tablets and cell phones and PCs and computers. So it's other forms of, you know, of communication that they can receive and other forms of entertainment that they can receive. So like Gracie's Corner, I, I haven't really watched the show, but the song is in my head. And actually, as a matter of fact, I'm going to play that song at the end of this episode. It, let me look it up before I'm just like, yeah, I'm going to play the thing this episode. I don't even have the song. But I know it's Gracie's um, Corner. It's like the phonics song. It's like, that's the sound with the letter, mate. Mm. I'm going to play it at the end of this joint. You're going to hear it. You're going to hear it. It's so cute. The production's lit. Like, make me want to take the instrumentals and do a freestyle. I might mess around and do that. But, um, yeah, I feel like we need to 
stop trying to sit at their table, even though originally it's our table. So I feel like, you know, it's just like, you know, anything that was conquered and like, okay, respect the conqueror or the explorer of this land, right? Respect the creator of Sesame street, right? You just diss the guy, Gordon and Sarah and all of the headmistresses of Head Start in New York city and all the teacher superintendent, black teachers and actors and actresses that put their money together, rich and upper middle-class snooty or athletes or not that came together to create an environment for their children to learn for only to get taken away once again. Now I get it because they're educators and I know how black people are. Never are we like, no, we want to keep this for black people. We'd love to share our stuff. We do. Sometimes I think it's a fault, but we'd love to share and be like, sure, let's, you know, we want all the kids to learn, you know? So I, I'm pretty sure there was no pushback. Just like when they gave blue suede shoes to Elvis, pretty sure it was no pushback. Cause they're like, this is going to get us more exposure. You know, just like when famous Amos sold his name to the cookie company that famously uses his name now. And that poor man died penniless, right? Because when he thought he was going to get more exposure and more money, it's the same thing over and over again, right? So never do we say no, never do we try to keep it in house and be like, no, all black. No, never do we do that. So as a result of it, you know, it's business as usual, rapage and pillage. They took the you know name, took the likeness, took everything a part of it, and made it into a franchise, right? And who who gets hurt in the process? It's almost like because we know black people created this, we got to make sure we shun all black kids. We don't want them to know how special they are, and they're the reason that we even have jobs. It's crazy. So I don't know. I don't. I, you know, sometimes the people's thinking, as far as like me personally, I know this is like oh you're all hyped up over Sesame street and you don't even have any kids. Granted, I don't have kids, but I did grow up on Sesame street and I'm a black woman. You know what I'm saying? Like I tell you that you see this in the, in the, in the, um, bio of this podcast. It says, I speak on things from music, life, food, and just living life and navigating through life as a black woman. So I'm going to give you some of that. And I have not been giving you a lot of that lately because I've been feeling like once again, like I'm, I'm trying to be peaceful. I'm trying to be, you know, neutral, but neutral don't get your shit, you know, in some occasions, sometimes it's good to be quiet. A lot of times it's good to hold your tongue, but some things are blatant. This is blatant. And if I can use my platform just for a little bit of good, you know, sometime I'm going to try it. And, um, yeah, so I wanted to bring that to y'all attention. Smithsonian did this article on Sesame street in 2019. So it's an old article is online. You can definitely find it, but it was their 50th year anniversary because, you know, they started in 69. So 19, 50 years. So they said it was only right because of the 50th year anniversary to dig deep into the roots and the history of it. If you go look at that article and you look at the pictures, you'll see New York and you know, New York to me, a lot has changed over the years, of course, but a lot has remained the same, right? Like I'm hearing like right now I was listening to the radio and they were saying how it's a big rat problem in New York. Garbage is taking over the streets. In the nineties, it was a point in time where garbage wasn't really like that in New York. Like it was pretty clean. It was pretty good. And even the 2000s was even better. It was like, you know, early 2000s was real touristy, real tourism in New York, right? But um, the late 70s, early 80s, it was garbage all over freaking New York. 
garbage. And apparently now in 2022, they're saying they're having garbage issues and rat issues. So, wow. You know what I'm saying? So, when you look at the set of Sesame Street, it's giving you that. That's why they even have a dude in the garbage, Oscar the Grouch. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if he's representing, like, the homeless people of New York or the rats in the garbage. Who knows, right? But they have him there on the set. They have the aesthetics just looks like New York City, a worn 1969 New York City, right? The apartment, it looks like you could tell it's an apartment, like the set, right? So you could just see where it was geared for a particular demographic, right? So how did we lose sight of that? How did we forget how to get to Sesame Street? They even said um, the song, you know, sunny days, away, written by black people, was a spinoff or it was basically inspired by Duke Ellington, Take the A Train to Harlem. So it's even telling you like, hey, instead of going to Harlem, though, we're going to say it's Sesame Street, but this is Harlem. So you're coming up here to Harlem with us to learn today, kids, right? So they even fused it into their theme song. How can you deny us? It's amazing. But yet again, here we are. And I get it in today's day and age. It's um, doggy dog world. You know, you got to keep your job. But if you are not in the business of being nice and treating every kid the same, then maybe a job at Sesame Place is not for you. But the way it's being done and being done so confidently and so comfortably and so blatantly lets me feel like it might have been in their training handbook. It was definitely in the training manual. And as long as, and they probably was doing it for years because hello, who was filming stuff before like that? Now everything is filmed. So you got to move a little differently, right? But um, even a good 20 years ago, even though we had cell phones and cell phones may have had cameras, we weren't filming like that. Cameras qualities weren't like that. So the blatant BS was probably still going on at Sesame Place, but we weren't made privy to it because of the lack of technology. So there you go. So a lot of people have been getting away with the BS for a long time. And it's like, come on, this is what's creating fragile adults with anxiety that cannot move confidently in the world is by rejecting our children. You know what I'm saying? And then if you have parents, like I'm not taking nothing from the parent that said, Oh, it's okay, baby. They just hugging the white kids. You know, that was like her way of comforting the child because it was so blatant what happened to her kid and the look on his face, the little boy was disheartened. He was just heartbroken. Like he wanted to get a hug. He was so excited and didn't get a hug. And you know, it's like, that's how our parents did us. Like, oh, they only, it's only for the white kids. And, and we, and we'll put that imaginary boundary up for us. Right. And we kind of grew up within that boundary. Some of our parents were like, fuck this. I'm not putting you in a boundary, but a lot of ours did, you know, they rely on Jesus and boundaries. You know what I'm saying? And you can't see neither. (laughs) So it's so crazy. But, um, I just feel like, Good job to that mom. Keep the pressure on their asses. I think it should be a class action lawsuit at this point. I'm about to take, um, I'm about to do round up some black babies and take them to Sesame Place so I can join the class action lawsuit. I want y'all to ignore my babies. We coming. I'm going to bring like 10 of them, scattered them throughout the crowd. Any one of them get ignored, we going in on a class action lawsuit. Nah, that. but I'm saying, that's how it should be at this point. Be on their necks. 
because that's the only way things are going to change. And it won't be blatantly disrespectful no more. Because you know if it was the other way around, the manager would have been called, the supervisor would have been called, you know, Big Bird himself would have to come out there and answer and give some, give some reasoning why they did this to their child. So let's kind of keep the same pressure. I'm not mad at y'all at all. And with that being said, um, you know, the only reason why I wanted to share this fun fact with you all today, because I just think it's crazy, like, I just had to satisfy my curiosity because I was like, I felt like it was so, it resonated with me so much that I feel like it was a black show, you know, and then come to find out it was. So I'm like, I want to share that with you all and tell me what you think about that. To couple that, with, you know, add insult to injury of the fact that it was made for the black children. And these are the same ones that are being deprived of it. All right. And as far as like the rejection goes and, you know, people say, oh, they're children, they won't, they will remember it. This, that's the most impressionable time in a person's life, period. I don't care what race you are, what your cultural background is, but I have more vivid memories of things that happened or did not happen to me as a child versus things that happened to me maybe five, 10 years ago. You know what I'm saying? Because it's more impactful. You're fresh, you're innocent, and you're open. You're a fresh palate to the world. So, you know, if someone hurts you, you're going to remember that. If someone made you feel away, rejected, or disappointed, you're going to remember that, you know? And then, as you grow up, what can happen? Because, speaking for myself, it has happened to me, you know? As you grow up dealing with stuff like that, then um, you get to a point, maybe in your 20s, like myself, where you feel like, you know what? I'm not taking it anymore and I'm going to stand up for myself, but you don't know how to stand up for yourself. You don't know how to articulate it. You don't know how to express it because you never had a, a guide. If you always had someone putting the boundaries up and saying, it's okay. You know, you didn't get that. You didn't get picked. It's okay. You're not supposed to get picked. It's for them. You know, so if you're constantly told that, you know, by the time you get into your 20s or whatever age and you're just like, I can't take it no more, you're going to just rebel. And it may be ugly. It may be an ugly cry. It may be an ugly $20,000 worth of damage. It could just come out in ways that are not society, you know, not politically correct, I should say, right? So it is important that we nurturing our children and shape their confidence and build up their confidence because we do want to have confident adults that can articulate their concerns that can um see their dreams go after them and achieve them and don't have that hesitation on them like oh i might be rejected because fucking sesame street rejected their asses when they were five right and then you told them it was basically okay for them to do that because they're only hugging the white kids right so no Good job, mama, staying on their asses, and good job to all the parents who sent in their videos as well, because clearly it's a problem, and clearly they're out there just demolishing little children's, you know, confidence, so I am happy that they were able to bring light to that, and hopefully some things will change, and they get some diversity and inclusion there, because that's not cool at all, you know, not, not cool at all. Or maybe this is an opportunity for someone like, I don't know, Jay-Z or LeBron or somebody to open up their own theme park, you know, and get something going for the kids. I don't know. Just throw that out there. But, um, I'm not going to keep a long episode like I wanted to do, like I've been doing lately is just sharing fun facts about different things that I have been learning. Cause like I said, I was today's years old when I realized it was a nation of like, rich and influential black people in New York 
that put together Sesame Street blew my mind to see that the way it's being ran today. In my opinion, them costumes look dingy. Where the hell was Big Bird? Like, where's the rest of the, the crew? Like, those people out there was not it. They look, the costumes look like they need to be dry cleaned and the place look raggedy. You know, a two on Yelp, a two on Yelp. So get it together over there, y'all. And what I'm going to do, because like I said in this episode, I feel like we should focus on who's focusing on us, love on who's loving on us. I tell you that all the time, right? So instead of trying to, you know, hopefully get a seat at the end of the table and get crumbs all night. Create your own table, create your own feast, and this way you can invite whoever you want to invite to it to eat, right? So I really, really want to give a kudos and a shout out to Gracie's Corner TV. Anyone out there who has children, you probably already know about it. I'm late to the game, but if you don't know about it, check it out. I think it's so cool, and I don't think it's just for black kids. I think any child of, you know, learning age can appreciate it. But I like the fact that they're gearing it, like how Sesame Street was originally geared towards urban kids. They're gearing it towards those kids because we know that in some areas, some kids, you know, develop late. Some people don't have, you know, the parents that will take time with them like others do. So it's good to have, you know, those learning those type of videos and those type of um, programs with the hidden curriculum of teaching the children. I love it. So I'm going to leave y'all here tonight with um, Gracie's Corner, the phonics song, but it's lit. Wait till y'all hear this joy. Y'all got to be like, wait a minute, Khalid. And you probably heard it already because I'm telling you, on TikTok, I seen this one couple, it was like the caption was like, yo, we didn't realize this song was so lit. So you see the baby in the baby um, high chair in front of the TV, dancing to Gracie's Corner. And then you see the mom come, no, the dad comes in first, and he's like rocking to it. Then he calls his wife, and then the wife comes in. Then you see they both pick up one side of the baby's high chair and move the baby out the living room. And they just start doing a whole dance routine to the song, like getting it in, like really killing it. And I was like, yo, this song is lit, you know, and it's for the children. And also with that being said, it's like the Roosevelt Franklin character. They make character, well, they make music and they make their characters relatable to their audience. You know, something that maybe Gordon, the, the actor who created a character years ago was way ahead of his time. They were super duper ahead of their time. And so, and kudos to them because look what, look what we at. You know what I'm saying? And they taught so many of us, myself included in those early days. So, um, to see is like Gordon and Roosevelt Franklin crawled so Gracie's Corner could run, right? For them in the 70s to be banned, be saying that that was negative influences. And now Gracie's Corner is on YouTube with 15 million plus views and counting because the children love her. Okay, so I'm going to leave you guys with the phonic song. <laughs> and, um, you already know what I say every time. Until next time, guys, you know, love on you. Because if you don't love on you, you can't love on me. And we need to spread that love because it is very detrimental out here that we spread love. It's important because the world is crazy. We're seeing it left and right. No respect for elders. No respect for the kids. No respect for nothing. So we have to bring that back, that ordinance of love back. So spread love. You know, if you just smile and share a kind word with someone for the day, it will go a long way. Trust me. And you know my other motto, if you like this podcast, tell a friend. If you don't like it, tell a friend. Please, 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 I encourage you either way to tell a friend because it's not going to hurt. All right? And until next time, I'm sending y'all love from my mouth to your ears. Love you lots. Y'all stay blessed. Stay safe. Until next time. All right? Peace. This is the Phonics
www.gracie'scornertv.com Thanks again for the support!